0: Welcome to the sound the foghorn podcast fan side. It's official San Francisco Giants podcast. I'm your host, Mark DeLuke. And today on our ninth episode, I'm very happy to have on Bay Area news group, Oakland athletics beat writer, Shana Rubin. Shana, thank you for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me. Good to be here.
0: So obviously this is a Giants podcast, but you know, it's the offseason and we got months left and the way the free agent market is looking, things are going to drag out. So we're going to have plenty of time to circle over all the Giants moves, the Giants roster and all that. And so I thought it'd be good to have some people on to talk about other teams and sort of where they stand. And so Giants fans can kind of get a better look at how they stand relative to other teams around the league. So obviously, Shannon, you cover the A's and I just sort of want to, I guess I'll start with just a general question. You know, where do the A's stand right now in the competitive picture? Obviously they just made the playoffs, but you know, they've already lost Mike Minor. They, Marcus Simeon, Liam Hendricks are free agents. You know, where are, do they kind of stand in the league from your perspective?
1: I think that the, this is one of the final years that this contention window is open. And uh, I think that even though they're losing some big names like Liam Hendricks, Marcus Simeon, I, I think that internally, they're feeling pretty confident in their ability to, you know, turn out another Liam Hendricks, to turn out another Marcus Simeon. So it's, it's from from an A's reporter perspective, it's been interesting sort of uh, seeing their players that have gone through it. Like, you know, Liam Hendricks, he was designated for assignment a few years ago. He, he was, he was going through it. And uh, it's been fascinating watching them himself turn himself into a star, but also the A's help aid that. And I think that I think that they're pretty confident in their ability to sort of recover from their losses. And they have 10 free agents, including Mike Miner. I think they're pretty confident in their ability to sort of turn up, turn out the pieces that they need to keep the window open and and stay competitive again.
0: Simeon's an interesting one because obviously he's the centerpiece of the Jeff Samarja trade years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. makes the big leagues and is a, Um, competent, but inconsistent player early on, you know, he struggles defensively, but then more recently, he's become a strong offensive player has obviously the breakout 2018 or 2019 and then regressed offensively this season. How do you see, you know, his free agent market coming out? Do you see a reunion um, happening there?
1: I it's, I have no idea. It's, it's been one of the most mysterious markets, Marcus Simeon in particular, like I, there's a pretty clear indication uh, of where Hendricks could go. Like, you know, there, there's a pretty, there's a pretty uh, defined pool of, of suitors, but Simeon it's hard to, it's hard to determine which teams are in the market for a 30 year old uh, short stop. It, and it's, he's had such a up and down, Low and high, that I'm not sure how he's valued, uh, and uh, it's something that I'm going to explore a little bit in the offseason, just to get a sense of as this offseason progresses how other teams are valuing him. I think that I mean the A's have said explicitly that they want him back. Uh, he just it has a lot to do with the fact that they the A's have some shortstop options in the minors right now, some high prospects like uh, like Nick Allen, They have Logan Davidson. A few years away they but someone like nick allen who i guess would be next in line uh he's still developing his bat and they don't want to rush him up uh even though he is said to have a superb glove so i think that they're in this little gray area with shortstop where they would love to have him back because his teammates love him and he had that 2019 that i think that if marcus Simeon felt like he could return or should return that there would be sort of the intention of maybe he can revive himself uh, into the 2019 version, version of himself and, and go back into the market a little bit more defined as, as an offensive standout. And uh, so that's, that's sort of the context in which I could see a reunion with the A's is uh, maybe he'll, he'll find a way to uh, just, he'll, he'll find it necessary to uh, return and reinvent himself.
0: Gotcha. You know, I got the chance to uh, actually profile Allen last summer. I did a piece on Nick Allen and Elliot Ramos, one of the giant stop prospects who they've just crossed paths a lot and uh, are good friends. And so I sort of got to talk to both of them and Allen seemed like a great guy, obviously a big time prospect, but you know, that does kind of surprise me that, you know, he's kind of the next in line, like where, if Simeon were to go elsewhere, if the reunion doesn't come together, Mm -hmm. Do you see them saying we're confident to challenge Allen and maybe bring in some guys on minor league deals and let Allen compete to win that job? Or do you see them looking for a, I don't know, off the top of my head, Andrew Elton Simmons or kind of maybe a, you know, or a lesser kind of veteran shortstop.
1: Right. I think that there's a slim chance that they might be thinking that, but I I think that there's a better chance that they might bring in a, a Simmons or that they might just move Chad Pinder over to shortstop. Uh, I think that they wanted to find an opportunity to get a more consistent uh, reps in the lineup. He has a strong bat, and that I think that we saw we saw it a little bit last year. Even if it was sixty games where they had him platooning at uh, at second base, uh, he was starting to find himself offensively, and I think that the the, the strong offensive upside. Of, of Pinder was started was starting to show itself as the year progressed and, and started to peak towards the, the postseason. I think that without knowing for sure, I think that that could be an option is that they kind of just uh, go over this space uh, where Allen isn't necessarily ready and they're not sure if Simeon's returning with some internal options.
0: Mm-hmm. You you kind of mentioned, and you know obviously it won't be breaking news to anyone to you know the A's aren't expected to open their pocketbooks or give out any big contracts this off season. But you mentioned like this probably when you look at this window, barring you know Nick Allen emerging as some transcendent star or some other internal options, like this kind of seems like the last shot for this group. Mm-hmm. How do you see them then towing that line? this off season because if ownership is going to continue being, you know, cheap and not giving the front office big time financial flexibility, but they obviously want to remain competitive, you know, are do you see any trades ops there? Do you see it or is it just going to be kind of filling in the edges and hoping their their guys can carry it?
1: I imagine that they're exploring a, a lot of trades and it's <laughs> it's going to be something unexpected. And I mean the, the Tommy Listella trade midseason last time wasn't necessarily unexpected I feel like that was he fit the profile so perfectly that it was you know it wasn't surprising but I, I can I can see them sort of exploring some some deep trades and and refurbishing what they have now uh and you know they're they're used to working within a low budget so I feel like this this strange off season where everyone is going to be cutting costs is just sort of everyone else is down at the A's level now and they've they've they live in this, they live in this hot water. So uh, it could just, I mean, they're going to have to cut costs more than they usually do, I'd imagine. Uh, But I think that they're used to working within tight confines uh, economically and financially.
0: I like the framing of the ace front office as like Bane in this like Batman, Dark Knight Rises
1: universe (laughs) of baseball.
0: And I think that's, that makes actually a lot of sense, especially because in a way this front, this off season seems like kind of the perfect Thing if you're an A's front office person, because you're like, well, there's going to be players that are normally priced out of our range that are probably going to come into it. So that makes a lot of sense. But since they are the Oakland A's, I, I have to ask, you know, I know there's a few years left of team control on a Matt Chapman, on a Matt Olson, a couple years of team control on a Sean Manaya, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I from the outside, and obviously I don't follow the A's extremely closely, but you know, from the outside, like I'd be pretty surprised if all three of those guys hit free agency after, fin- you know, with the Oakland A's. Like uh, the odds are, I feel like right. at least one of them, and possibly multiple, are moved in the next few years. Do you think that's on the table this off season?
1: I don't think it's on the table this off season. I think this is this is sort of the last step. This is the last time that they'll. It could be. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speculate that, but it could be mm-hmm. the last time that we see both Matts together, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. I just, it, it they, especially with the timeline of the ballpark, uh, the new ballpark, that was supposed to be a huge source of revenue for, uh, for a potential opportunity for the front office to get to for baseball operations to get more money and uh, to start signing some players long term. I mean. That sounds preposterous because we're absolutely not used to that being a concept in Oakland, but uh, that's what Billy Bean said, ex- has said before the pandemic, which is once we have shovels in the ground, we can start to explore extensions. We can start to explore more money. We can start to explore uh, bigger contracts. And uh, the pandemic just threw that completely out of whack. And and by that, I mean the timeline of a new ballpark. It's obviously gonna not be opened in 2023. Uh, and who knows when it will? And I so I think that it's it's a little bit sketchy now. It's a little bit sketchy, you know, in twenty twenty two. Are they going to be able to afford to keep all of their player controlled or all their team controlled players? And uh, I as of right now, I, I I would lean towards no, just given the the team history. So I think that in the next, not this year, but the next couple of years, uh, we might start to see some movement there.
0: So looking across the bay at the giants where you know they have been one of the teams that's more willing to spend they have been pretty consistently top five or ten in payroll (laughs) but they've been worse than the a's pretty consistently over the last few years and i don't think anyone's really gonna debate that the talent on the a's roster has been better but you know comparing where these two teams stand right now you know obviously from a bit of distance for you how do you kind of see the giants relative to the a's
1: i think what i see is that how do i put this i think that what Farhan is doing is trying to create the foundation on which the A's live off of. <laughs> the A's, I mean, like they can't, the finishing touches of a, a, a Mookie Betts or, you know, uh, they can't get the finishing touches of a star player to take them over the edge, which is what the Giants conceivably could do in years to come. What I see happening just from the other side of the bridge is he's, he came into a situation where he wasn't pleased at all with the talent that he had to work with in the system. And I think that the giants are still in the process of, uh, you know, rinsing out and re and, and refurbishing. That's not, you know, that's a mixed metaphor, but just sort of recreating the organization in Farhan's image and in Farhan's eyes. And I think that, you know, that's, that's an important, they're still in the process of creating the foundation that is needed to sort of uh, start taking off, start becoming a contending team.
0: I like that um perspective on because I do think that's a really good way of putting it. You know, he dove into the waiver wire. He, you know, made th- right. his first offseason, had three rule five picks. He, you know, trading cash for guys here and there, claiming this guy on waivers. And so um yeah, I think that's makes a lot of sense that he's sort of trying to kind of apply the the depth approach that the A's have had to rely on because they knew players were at risk of leaving in free agency or they were going to try to trade them, you know, at various points on the prospect capital um entered there i do think also it's kind of two teams on the cusp of going in opposite directions you know things kind of changing because as you mentioned this does seem like the a's kind of last too raw with this group and that probably means you're seeing names start getting on the trade market potentially moved and they sort of enter that retool phase and obviously the A's you know historically haven't necessarily attempted to do the full on tank jobs they've kind of tried to stay around the middle of the pack while they retool but you know while the Giants on the other hand have built up a pretty decent farm system you know Farhan's it seems like um, has that organization in as you mentioned a stronger place than it was and they might be you know again like you mentioned next year uh, this previous four years where the A's are the top AL contender and the Giants are kind of middle of the pack in the NL West on the cusp of breaking through, but by 2022, I think it's very plausible that these two organizations have swapped and the A's are now trying to find that next core and the giants are seeing that next core on the big league diamond.
1: Yeah, that, that seems entirely plausible. I mean, it's, it's all comes down to the, the A's are, they always have something cooking in their uh, farm system and, and there's, there's actually kind of a a strange gap in their system where uh a lot of their bigger prospects are far down, They're like a couple years away. So I think that if a rebuild is on the horizon, I'm not really sure how the future looks. Like there's there's no one bubbling over and no one, no one sort of pushing into the, the, he's big league ready and he's going to be a star type of player. Uh, so it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the rebuild looks, or not necessarily the rebuild, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see where the A's go in, in the next few years once this contention window closes. The Giants, it's, I mean, like, it's going to look a little different when, when they feel like they can start contending for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's ultimately the crutch that, you know, ownerships like the A's ownership put the, their front office in, right? That ultimately, and obviously the Giants sort of, you know, it hurt them in 2017, 18 and 19, but they built this core in 2010 that won its first title and they were, uh, they added players throughout, but they were able to extend those guys. They said, you know, there's a Buster Posey, there's a Brandon Crawford, uh, there's you know even a Madison Bumgarner or a Matt Kane. Is they said, you know, these guys are really good players, and we may be able to develop cheaper prospects or find other guys here and there. But ultimately, you know, it's really hard to find really good MLB players, and so they have right. the tools to say, all right, we're willing to overpay you know, the back end of these contracts to keep these guys and remain competitive where the A's have to be in that constant state of churning. And we've seen, you know, Zaidi went from the A's front office to the Dodgers front office. And the Dodgers thus far have done a good job of finding that balance where they do seem to be somewhat constantly retooling at the minor league level with the younger players, but also retaining enough star power to remain um, at the top of the division. So, yeah, no. Right. I think it's a really interesting comparison just because as you mentioned, you know, you look at the A's right now, if they were willing to spend like the Giants ownership, right? Like you could yeah. see the team remaining um, at the top of the the league for um, some time, but we're going to take right. a quick break here and we'll be right back. Stick around after a few seconds. And we're going to talk about something I've been wanting to talk about on the podcast, but haven't found a way to yet. You've uh, obviously you're on the A's beat, but, they. It seems like they move you around over there. You've written about the college sports side. There's some. I saw a recent article on Niners and the Golden State Warriors. I am. I have to admit. Yeah, I'm a basketball fan. I'm a, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. I'm curious to. And baseball uh, fanatics out here who don't want to hear about basketball, you know. I I encourage you guys to stay tuned. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. But if you must, then thank you for enjoying the pod thus far, and I'll see you next week. But um, how do you evaluate this offseason for the Golden State Warriors? Like, I just want to have a a Golden State Warriors conversation here.
1: Yeah, let's – it was – I mean, the fact that they don't have Clay. I mean, the day they lost Clay, and the fact that that was on draft day was just the the weirdest letdown – unexpected letdown I can remember like it was just I was after all of these months in in lockdown and thinking about okay I haven't seen the Warriors play in months I don't even remember what they look like and like you know how can they who are they going to take in this draft are they going to make a trade and uh, sort of expecting that they were going to take the guy they ended ended up taking which was Wiseman and then just an hour before the draft hearing that the entire scope of how the team of the entire scope of what the team was going to look like in the coming season was altered. I mean, like, and it's bigger than that. I think that losing Clay in effect ended the Warriors that we knew them to be like that. That was sort of the mark of the end of, of an era. And like, that's not to say that they aren't going to be good for the next few years, but I think that it's just, there's is never going to be the same. Like he's never going to be the defensive player. He was, he's never going to be, you know he might not be the even if his skill set fits uh you know not being hundred percent I, I think that he's it, it's not gonna be the same, so I think that there's there's always gonna be that little bit of sadness that that trails the team from now on uh in the coming years but i I like that i I feel more excited to watch his team than I did last year, that's for sure
0: yeah, I think that two things with clay the first was like the if, I feel like if it had come out that he tore his Achilles, obviously that would have been tragic, but it was also like the, the ominousness of the report that was wow. like, Clay <laughs> suffered a really severe injury and everyone, yeah. and everyone who seemed connected was clearly giving off the warning signs like this is very bad, this is very serious, right. but also weren't being specific enough. So there was this weird like, it was also like up in the air like you were like oh maybe there's a chance tomorrow it comes yeah. out it's a sprained knee and it's 6 to 8 weeks right it was and then torture. yeah it, it really got this prolonged thing i i i think it's sort of you could see, you could envision a scenario if clay had been healthy this season where you say this team could, mm-hmm. if a lot of things go right, if James Wiseman or if they draft a guy or trade for a guy who's immediate contributor, if they sure up the wing position, they could win a championship or at least be competing for a championship with the core that was yeah. right with Clay cool. Curry and Green. And it, I don't I mean, again, I don't think there's by no means I, they are favorites or top contenders heading into this year, but there no. is a scenario where they are if another but the core has to look different, right? Andrew Wiggins has to become right. something no one has no one has seen from him yet at the NBA level, or Kelly Oubre has to be most improved player, or um, James Wiseman has to you know become a star relatively soon, whether it's this year, next year, whatever. And I think that's the the thing of that. because the other thing about when Durant left, right, that made Clay's ACL injury is there was always this. Well, the Warriors will get one more chance to run it back without KD
1: right exactly. and now
0: it's it's it, they they never did right the, the, they right. win 73 games they lose in the finals and don't get that back-to-back championship they get Kevin Durant and you know become the death star and you know the Steph defenders of the world you know have to to, to now live with <laughs> if he doesn't get another if he doesn't get another title right exactly People will always point to well that one year was a fluke because Kyrie and Kevin Love was hurt and then he blew the 3-1 lead and he needed KD to win again and it's just like well. That's how, that's how it goes sometimes I guess
1: right and it's like beyond the narrative I just wanted to see them together again and mm. it just it felt like in this in this before with clay that I feel like they would have contended for a title easy like I think that they match up with clay they match up well with the Lakers they match up well with with the west top teams and it's just it just felt like the perfect time for them to come back together like you know there's a bit of nostalgia along with it and there's also just a bit of redemption and and the talent level is still there there's they're still both in their primes i mean clay uh, even coming off an acl maybe he wasn't going to be 100% but it was it was really highly plausible that they could have contended for a title uh this season and now it's just maybe they'll you know make the playoffs i'm assuming they're going to make the playoffs i mean if clay is on a team with kelly oubre and andrew wiggins that's a whole other story he just he, he takes them over the top so it's just it, it would have been fun to see them try to to go for it again and I, I felt like I was waiting for this moment to watch that for so long and it felt longer because of the pandemic and now it's just it was just like a gut beyond a cut bunch it was just like getting shot in the stomach
0: oh and especially if you tell me right that the Warriors are going to draft James Wiseman, you know, sign a Kent Bazemore, a Brad Wanamaker, and yeah. trade for Kelly Oubre, I go, this team is really deep. You know, like like every, yeah. every move they made, that's what's so weird about evaluating the offseason is every move they made, I really like from okay. a basketball perspective, from a competitive perspective, but the one move that they had no control over, the one thing that didn't, Clay's injury, then just kind of, shoots it. So what do you expect though of this team, you know, as constructed without Clay Thompson this season?
1: Um I mean, we're going to have to it'll be interesting to watch and see what Andrew Wiggins can do. It'll be interesting to see what Oubre is. It'll be interesting to see uh what Wiseman is. If Wiseman can come out and be something and I mean like if, he's at a disadvantage because he had coronavirus. Uh, so we're, I feel like it's going to be it's going to be a slow start for the entire team and it's going to be slow start for him but if he can come out and sort of show if he can start shooting threes that would be ideal like that that would be if, if we want to talk about the future of the center position if they can get Wiseman to, sh- to shoot threes at a you know a consistent basis for us then that would be that might be the key to a more uh prolonged success for him or something that would sort of set them apart from from other teams but I I fully expect him to be a decent rib protector, and you know, just I would like to see what he can do, basically. Yeah, I, th- I think. Uh, a reason- oh, sorry. There's a ahead. lot of unknowns. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Um, I feel like Wiseman when you, when I look at it is like. A like kind of middle outcome but like what I consider like kind of a successful season is if he's just like longer a better rim protecting Marquise Chris yeah you know is kind of like what I mean obviously you know you hope he sees it hey he's a rookie who plays like I Bam in a bile but I mean realistically speaking like you know he, he's he's obviously he's a seven foot one center he's a seven foot tall center right the right. Warriors didn't have that last year they had six I mean they had Willie Colley Stein but he obviously was hurt to start the year but you know other than him it's Kavon Looney and Marquise Chris who 10-15 years ago in the NBA they're power forwards right um I'm yeah. still like the one person left in Warriors fandom who believes that Kavon Looney's jump shot's gonna finally come six, six years <laughs> down the road but um be
1: interesting.
0: because I, I thing <laughs> I, I I think with Looney it's like you know obviously it's the medical question. It's the health question for him, but I mean, like I think if there's anyone in basketball who this extremely long layoff and basically having a redshirt season last year, like really benefits, it's him again. I, you know, that doesn't mean he's going to be the third star and carry it, but between the outside of Wiseman, because obviously he's the number two overall pick outside of him of the not core guys, who are you most excited about or who do you think has the best chance to become that centerpiece we don't think they have right
1: now? Oh, a centerpiece. So like by that you mean a non-uh Wiggins or a non-Ubre.
0: Well, so do you think Wiggins or Ubre can become like sorry, I should say like a a core? I mean like, you know, I feel like right now Ubre is kind of viewed as, you know, he's kind of like the a combo Livingston Iguodala role player and you know obviously Iguodala was a foundational piece but he wasn't Iguodala is what raised their floor but not what built their ceiling sort of is how I look at it yeah um so like you know I mean so do you think like Wiggins or Oubre do you think Wiggins is a guy who he could he's the most likely to take that step and be like we're talking about the core of you know Steph Wiggins and Green at the end of this season
1: Yeah, I think – I mean, Wiggins arguably has the higher ceiling, right? I mean, Ubre, it'd be nice to see what he can do if he can become a – they'll kind of – I think a lot of success with Ubre will be consistent on if he develops a shot or if he he can – not develop it, if he can uh, get his percentages up. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that with Wiggins, he just has – he has a higher ceiling to be a more impactful player. So I think that his – if he can show signs of signs of progress, or if he can show signs of sort of fulfilling his expectations as a number one overall pick, that would be huge. That would just given how, how high the ceiling is. Uh, I think that if they can get some of that out of him, that could take them another, take the team another notch up. So I would say that I'm most excited to see if, if they can, what they can get out of him, what they can sort of, uh, how they can develop him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely ceiling-wise, right? Like you, you look, again, he was the number one overall pick for a reason. He's averaged you know twenty points per game relatively consistently. Obviously, in Minnesota though, um, I think Ubre. He was. I was doing you know the, you had the Twitter like pick your awards thing going around, and I did it without doing enough research. But I think Ubre is is my sleeper pick for most improved player, and I think mm-hmm. he's made. You know, he's one of those guys who he was a solid. Draft pick, you know, he wasn't, you know, a top five guy, but you know, he he was um, first round pick and slowly I At least I, uh, I, well, we'll see. Maybe my comments section will correct me on that. I'm pretty sure it's first round pick. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, he's he slowly developed, you know, and improved while he was in Washington. Then goes to the mm-hmm. Suns. Has I think a really his his best season last year, averaging 18 points per game was with Phoenix. And the thing about that is he has never been a guy who's been a focal point of an offense. I'm not saying he's going to be a focal point with the Warriors, but he's never been a guy who's been a focal point of an offense, but also has never been in a situation where the offense was run for guys who weren't the focal points, if that makes sense. Like Kerr, while the offense will obviously have to center around Curry this season, Kerr likes his offense to be built where I have a centerpiece, but I develop my offense where everyone else benefits from teams having to focus on that unicorn, which is Steph Curry. And I think Ubre's is a guy who's been able to find offense, been able to be productive in situations where they weren't even designing for that. And now that he has Curry, yeah. I think he could be a guy who, and I also just really like him defensively. I think he's gonna be really good defensively. And I think um, he could be that guy, but I, I agree. I mean, I think Ubrey and Wiggins are both guys. If you only have one of them right now, you're kind of, you know, you're nervous, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like among one of them, one of those guys has a pretty good shot to, be a guy where you're like, this guy's a really good starter at the least, right? Whether it's made it, you know, they aren't necessarily going to become that star. I don't think that's very likely, you know, just because it's hard to be a star in the NBA, but um,
1: yeah, I I think that's, that's the exciting part of this season is that we get to see how this new core of players and it it feels very new. Like it just feels like a whole different team, but it, I'm excited to see how they all uh, react and play around the gravity of Steph because we've, we've seen, We've seen I mean, like, by all accounts Ubre and Wiggins were not and Marcus Chris, a lot of these players that they've they've gotten elsewhere, they came from situations where they weren't being maximized. And like playing with Steph is the is has to be one of the best ways to see what you can do, how you can benefit from from playing in a playing with one of the, the best the player that gets the most attention. Like it's mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how they improve just by playing with Steph, which sounds simplistic. But I think that just given some of the comments, I, I remember Wiggins played, I think Wiggins played one game with mm. Steph last year. It was like in the odd space between the pandemic and Steph coming back from hand, a broken hand. And you could see the difference. You could see, you could see how <laughs> the pace change. You could see the guys like Wiggins reacting to the pace changing. You could see, that they were surprised that they were there was so much space around them because of Steph. So I think that it, that was a, a good wake wake up call for for Wiggins, and it'll be exciting to see how guys like Ubre and Wiggins uh, respond to that, respond to the change of pace, respond to the to to Steph.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing that is going to be the biggest part of the reason I'm more cautiously optimistic with Wiggins, where I'm more on on board kind of with some Ubre hype, is. Because of a, it's playing with Steph is also an incredible chance to be successful, but you have to be good off the ball. And yeah. Wiggins has never really been someone who's been in offense where he was developing offense, generating offense consistently off ball. Um, you know, yeah. in Minnesota they ran a lot of ISO with Thibodeau, and even um after he left. And so where Ubre his entire career he's pretty much had to be an off ball performer. And so I think just that adjustment is seamless. And so I think Wiggins has. Um, I agree with you, like the more higher ceiling than Oubre, but that also will require him to adjust his game more um, than Oubre as well. So with all that, what is sort of the minimum or what is the baseline where you say that's a successful Warriors season?
1: I think that if they can make the playoffs and maybe win a series or something. Okay. (laughs) I haven't... I'm so uh, I need to see them play a little bit to to see how I feel about what they're capable of. I'm entirely convinced that they're going to be terrible in a few games and everyone's going to write them off Uh, just because they don't, they're not used to each other. There's going to be some rust. They're playing the nets and the bucks and a couple other strong teams. So it's going to be, they're going to be bad to start. I I'm fully expecting them to contend for the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's a that's a optimistic expectation. Yeah.
0: Well, this is all the contingent on Curry's health, right? I mean, at the very oh, least, yeah. right, the the yeah. it's the season is a success if Steph Curry is healthy and plays like Steph Curry. I mean, yeah. that's like point number 1, regardless of the rest of the team because yeah. that's the one thing too we get so caught up in so many times right about the rest of the roster and I'll admit I was someone who was skeptical of the Lakers because of that because I got caught up in what well, your third best player is probably Cantavious Caldwell Pope to me and I just can't you know and and yeah. but the reality is like one star one superstar is so much more valuable in the NBA than in any other sport um, except probably quarterback in football that's with maybe the one exception and um, if Curry is that guy even if they go 25 and you know, forty-seven or whatever, because everything else falls apart. You still have that piece where, if he's hurt right. again this year, or he even potentially, arguably even worse, is healthy but just is not the player he was, then it's really looking like well, you know, that's where you have to look towards. Well, shoot, what is the long-term capability of team? Yeah, I think I know. Anthony Slater the Athletic wrote the six seed is kind of the break-even point, and I think that's fair. Like I agree. I think they're going to be competitive. I actually think they might get off to. Well, I guess this is the first team in a while that is stronger on paper defensively than offensively, um, yeah, in my yeah. opinion, you know, because I think Ubre is a better defensive than offensive player. Obviously, Draymond is. I think Wiseman – well, actually, no, you know, Wiseman going to struggle both ways, but Looney is stronger defensively than offensively. Um, Chris might be the exception to that. And I think Wiggins is kind of middle of the pack in both um, and has the potential to be – Um, I think it'll be easier for Wiggins to take the next step defensively than it will be for him offensively because of what I talked about before. And I think defense is easier to – and, granted, I guess having played basketball from coaches who said I didn't communicate enough, maybe I'm underrating um, <laughs> the the uh, need for to be familiar with the guys you play with. But I think they have such length, you know, and we haven't even mentioned you know Kent Bazemore and Brad Wanamaker on the bench, who are solid defensive players, that they're going to be able to stay in games defensively, even if they're going to be. Meet, I think offensively they're going to struggle to start, no doubt. But that mm-hmm. D, the defense will keep them in games where, if Steph goes off, and on any given night that's possible they could pull that upset against Brooklyn. They could pull that upset against Milwaukee. Um,
1: Yeah. They have that that baseline to be possibly a top 10 defense. So if they can, if they can live up to that, if they can, if they can get it together defensively, that raises their floor to a point where I think that they can beat most of the teams.
0: Yeah. I might even think top five. Like I really do like the depth because again, like when you, you, the thing is when you look at great defensive teams, even like, the team like the Clippers last year, who obviously on paper great defense. You looked at that second unit and you said, well, Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell aren't great defensive players. That's not where they make their contributions where this team, like the second unit is one that I think is going to be really strong defensively. Like this is a team that I can see winning a 102 95 game or a 97 94 game in a way that I would not have thought about this team really ever, even going back to the Mark Jackson days. So.
1: Yeah, this also is a, another factor. This is all dependent on Draymond sort of staying. That's true. Focused, being himself, because like I mean, I'm trying to think about last year. He's just mentally checked out. He was not ready to participate in all the losing. And but even in the 2019 finals, he clearly had lost a step. Like he couldn't keep up with Pascal Siakam. So I, I I'm a little bit worried about his regression even if his iq might make up for a lot of that i just uh and he's he's good i mean he's invaluable just his presence and his his intelligence on the on the court is uh gonna take them somewhere no matter what but i i it could be contingent on him one uh not showing significant signs of regression and two staying mentally checked in because we know that he could tend to uh check out
0: yeah he's uh you know, he, the famous quote from Jacob Evans, right, the 16 game players, right, Draymond is in every sense of the word, the 16 game player, he wants that, that's what he lives for, but if he doesn't see them on the horizon, you know, that doesn't seem like where he's gonna focus, but um, all in all, for the baseball people who I'm sure will be in our mentions, if, uh, well, they're gonna be in it anyway, but Um, Where do you think the – who do you think is the biggest free agent signing this offseason? I realize I didn't tell you to prep for this at all, so I'm just throwing this on you. But why not have some chaos to end the pod? biggest
1: free agent (laughs) signing, like uh, in general?
0: Yes. However you want to define it, you Uh, you can (laughs) –
1: Let me – I mean, like, I really am having – I've had so much trouble wrapping my head around the money aspect of – are gonna get because i have no idea what teams are willing to spend people like i'm just i'm still thinking about all the uh, the non-tenders that happened yeah um i mean i think that the most anticipated one will be trevor bauer i feel like i feel like i'm I'm excited to see where he goes i just i think he's i'm 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 excited to see where he goes i because uh i think that that could be one of the that'll be one of the bigger signings am i missing someone obvious
0: no, I think Bower's probably who, who most people would say. No, I think yeah. I, I think um, my my guy is Marcel Lozuna. I think he, if he gets to be a permanent DH, is going to get to tap into that because I think he's been a guy who's been on the cusp of being like a fantastic, like one of the best players in baseball, but you know has been relatively he's been like kind of really good or great as a hitter, but kind of alternated there while the defense has fallen off. And this year as a DH in Atlanta, he just tore the cover off the ball and started to yeah. show that premium stuff. And I think if he gets signed to a place where he can be a consistent DH in the American league, or if the NL um, adopts the universal DH, I think that could be um, something we look back on like, man, this, this guy's a stud in, in a way yeah. we, we haven't um, in the past. So Shayna, thank you for coming on a baseball podcast to talk about the team that isn't your beat. And yeah the golden state warriors and a bunch of things in between <laughs>
1: Yeah, anytime i love it i love talking about all the teams
0: awesome well that is uh, Shayna rubin uh where can they uh find you on twitter or read your stuff
1: oh yeah uh you can find me on twitter at at shana rubin s-h-a-y-n-a-r-u-b-i-n and then you can read me on the mercury news bay area news group we have a lot of names but you can you can look up uh my A's coverage on the mercury news
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. This has been the ninth episode of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. I'm your host, Mark Delucci. Make sure to stay tuned with all your Giants news and rumors at aroundthefoghorn.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode. Stay safe.